Welcome to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, church, let's get into the Word of God together. I want you to look at two places with me. I want you to run to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 14. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 14, and then we're going to run over to Revelation, chapter number 4. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 14, and then Revelation, chapter number 4. I'm going to be reading out of the NRSV, and uh, this uh, story in uh, Matthew 14, at, at face value, at first glance, it won't look like it ties into Revelation, but I promise you we're going we're gonna to tie it up nicely in the end. Revelation, I'm sorry, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, verse number 22, records these words. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the winds, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. Early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and beginning to seek. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and called him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are. The Son of God. That's very, very important. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, flip over to Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter number 4. And uh, our church has been in this book a lot lately. If you've been coming on the Wednesday nights, you already know where I'm going to be going with this text. Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 1, records these words. After this, I looked, and there was in heaven a door stood open. And there in heaven a door stood open. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. Watch this. And there in heaven stood a throne, and one seated on the throne. And the one seated there looks like Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne is a rainbow that looks like an emerald. Around the throne are 24 thrones, and seated on the throne are 24 elders. Seated on the thrones are 24 elders dressed in white robes with golden crowns on their heads. Coming from the throne are flashes of lightnings and rumblings and peals of thunder. And in front of the throne burn seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And in the front of the throne there is something like a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. 
The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a human face, and the fourth like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and inside. Day and night, and they do not cease to sing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, the whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne... Who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast down their crowns before the throne and sing, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created. All right, I want to get into this, and I'm going to talk about, and I think this is going to help you, I want to preach about how to handle... An election hangover. How to handle an election hangover. And I know if you're like me and my wife, we've been sitting on the couch, uh, stress eating all the Halloween candy and watching uh, a bunch of votes that are being counted but are not being reported. And we're waiting for the for the the percentages to rise or fall and see what's happening. And we're sucked into the drama. And it's been quite quite a week. And then you, every once in a while, you have to pull away from that, and you have to get your bearings, and you have to think, man, this, I, can't, I can't live like this. I can't live in this mental state. This robs me of peace. This robs me of joy. This robs me of focus. This robs me of distraction. How do we handle this kind of election hangover? Because there's been a lot of things that have been said during this season that are just quite frankly unchristian and a lot of bombs that have been dropped and a lot of insults that have been hurled. What do we do in the aftermath of this situation? And based upon whether or not your favorite team won, you're either going to be excited or you're going to be depressed. You're either going to be victorious or you're going to be defeated. How do we handle this kind of hangover? And I believe there's some keys from the Word of God for us about this particular situation. The first thing that I want to get inside of us, and I have said this for the last month to our church, is that Jesus is political, but he is not partisan. Jesus is political, but he is not partisan. When I say political, I'm talking about how we all live and function together for the good of everybody and everything. Jesus is political. Jesus does want the good for everybody and everything, but Jesus is not partisan. He does not belong to any political party, and no political party can lay claim to him, no matter how hard they try. And for all of the prophets and the words and the promises and the visions and the dreams and this person's going to win and that person is going to win. I want to tell you now, God is not in any of that. That is not him and that is not the function or the purpose of the prophetic. That is not why God speaks to us to predict winners of elections or winners of football games. That is not the purpose of the prophetic. We cannot lay claim, we cannot lay claim to Jesus with our favorite political team in that way. All of that is inappropriate and has to stop. But how do we, how do we think about these things in the aftermath of everything that's happened? In the next four years, you were either excited or you were terrified. 
And I preached a message last week, and you need to go back and listen to it, about how we have let the voice of fear shape so much about what we, how we're handling ourselves. And I don't suggest that we deny our fears, but we're not called to be formed by them. We're not called to be shaped by them. They're not called to inform us in the deepest ways and in all of the ways that they have. You see it online all the time. Well, if you pick this candidate, your kids are going to be beheaded in two years. And if you pick that candidate, you're going to lose all your money and you're going to be overtaken by all of the foreigners. And if you do this and if you do that, and it is all the voice of fear. And that is not the voice of God to us. When God speaks to us, it does not come with fear inside of it. When God speaks to us, it comes with faith inside of it. It comes with hope embedded inside of it. It comes with joy embedded inside of it. That's how we know it's the word of God to us. So how do we handle an election hangover? The first thing that we have to do is we have to make sure that regardless of who voted how and whether or not they're excited or defeated, we have to wipe all of that away and remember, me and you, you and I, all of us, we're brothers and sisters. We're God's children and we live inside God's kingdom together. And if you or I would cut someone off, if you or I would end a relationship based upon a checkbox at a polling place, then we have elevated that to a place of idolatry that it was never called to be. We are to elevate our love for one another over our differences. We have to run together. We have to live in the kingdom together. We have to do the work of the ministry together. That's who God's called us to be. And all of that is bigger than whether which color you voted for. That's not the key. That's not the, that's not the most important thing in our lives. And all of the political shaming has to stop. It has to stop. I want to tell people sometimes, and I have to remind myself of this, embrace the idea. Just be willing to embrace and entertain the idea that maybe, just maybe, I'm wrong on some things. I know that is a revolutionary thought. I know for some people, that thought has never struck their mind. It has never come to them. That particular light switch has never went off. But just ponder for a moment. Maybe I'm not seeing some things clearly. And maybe, just maybe, some people that I love, that I know, that I trust, that have hearts for God and love Jesus, that don't see the things the way that I do, maybe, just maybe, they're not crazy after all and backslidden. Maybe they just see it differently you see this actually this is actually blaring at us through the scriptures there's an interesting story when Jesus is walking through and he's picking out his disciples he picks out one disciple named Simon the zealot and I've talked to you hope unlimited about the zealots before he picks out Simon the zealot and what a zealot was is they were a religious nationalist they wanted to impose the kingdom of God by the power of the sword and through violence. And they thought that that's what God was about, that he's going to overthrow the evil, wicked Roman Empire. He's going to do it by the sword. He's going to do it through violence. You have this zealot that Jesus calls and he says, Simon, follow me. And Simon picks up his sword and he follows the Messiah because he's waiting on Jesus to show his own sword. But Jesus doesn't carry one. Jesus calls the zealot, and the zealot thinks, yes, 
The Messiah has picked me. I know exactly how this is going to go down. And then Jesus turns around and he calls Matthew a tax collector, an employee of the empire. And he tells Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And in, in that moment, you have two radically conflicting ideas and ideologies and political slants, boom, colliding in Jesus. And one man thinks Rome is the evil empire and we have to tear it down by violence. And another man is an employee of Rome. And Jesus has called both of them to follow me. Just think, what, what is going through your mind if you're the zealot and Jesus calls somebody from the empire that you are against? And Jesus loves that one as much as he loves you and you are against everything that he represents. You have to be thinking, Simon is thinking, Jesus, no, no, no. We're never going to accomplish the kingdom like this. If you really want to get some stuff done, get rid of Matthew and recruit some more people that think just like me. We can't get anything done, Jesus, unless you recruit some more people that are not afraid to pick up a weapon and go to work. And Jesus erases all of those things and says, no, 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 no. Because all of these, this bickering and this fighting and this back and forth, and you think we should do it like this, and you think we should do it like that. I'm bigger, and I'm above all of that. We have lost sight of that. We've lost sight of all of that. Just go to Facebook and look at how Christians are responding to this. We have completely lost sight of the fact that Jesus transcends everything that we call political. Jesus is beyond that. That's why the picture, uh, the text that I just read you in Matthew 14, that's why it is so gripping. That's why it's so compelling. Because the Bible tells a story of Jesus walking across the lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee. There's nothing, it's not a sea. I've been to Galilee. I've, I've, I've floated on the Galilee. It's not a sea. It's a big lake. Jesus is walking across the Lake of Galilee and the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, actually had a different name. It wasn't known in that area just by being called Galilee. It was also called the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias, you got to catch this. The Jews called it Galilee, but the Romans called it Tiberias because they renamed it after their emperor, Tiberius. And then you have this picture of the disciples in a boat and Jesus is not with them and they are in the middle of the waves of Tiberias. And it is a picture that Jesus is trying to paint for us of what it looks like to be floating in the middle of a political system without Jesus being with you. And it's battering you and it's kicking you over to one side and kicking you over to another side. But Jesus comes walking across the top of that political system and he calls us to walk across the top of that political system with him. That is the picture that he's painting that while Tiberius is raging and foaming and fomenting and fighting and arguing, Jesus is walking above it. And that is what he's called us to do in the aftermath of this. That's what he's called us to do in the aftermath of this. In our own lake of Democrat or Republican and the storms and the waves and the turbulence, Jesus is walking across the top of it and he's saying, you can too if you will just look at me. If you will put your eyes on me, I can empower you to walk over the top of what is consuming everybody else. 
So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking over the top of Tiberius, which is representative of the Roman political system. Peter is walking over the top of what normally drowns everybody else. We cannot let ourselves drown in the aftermath of this. As a church, we have to walk over the top of it. Jesus is bigger than all this, church. And you've got to get that down on the inside of you. I'm afraid that the undercurrent of Tiberius has started to pull on us. And we started to lose our footing. We started to lose our identity. We don't know. We think one person is from God and the other person is from Satan. And that is perverse theology. That is not how God views this. God is for the good of all of us. He's not for everything that we do, but he is for all of us. You've got to get that in you. We've got to start walking above this. We've got to start walking above this. And I know in the aftermath of whoever uh, got elected, whoever gets elected, again, as I'm recording this, we don't have an answer yet. And some of you, whoever gets elected, you're going to be terrified for the next four years and storing up food and blaming and calling them whatever name you have for them. Or you're going to be calling the other party whatever name you have for them. And you're in this food fight back and forth. And Jesus walks over Tiberius. He doesn't get in it. Again, Tiberius was the Roman emperor that that lake was named after. And it is a picture, it's a prophetic picture of Jesus walking over the top of the political system, not being consumed by it. That's how we survive this election hangover. You know what some of you need to do? You need to get over it. You need to get, is it going to have impact in your life? No doubt. Is it gonna? Is it gonna? Is it gonna have? And that can be for good or ill. Can it work for us or work against us? Absolutely. But in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of that, our hope is not built on that. Let me show you one more verse. Let me show you one more verse. Then, then I'll let you go. The Book of Revelation, chapter number four. After this, I stood. After this, I looked, and there, in heaven, a door stood open. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit. And what's the first thing that he sees? I see in heaven a throne and one seated on the throne. This is the picture that John is painting for us. Now watch, hang in here with me. For those that took my revelation class, you already know where I'm going. When John wrote the book of Revelation. He's writing it to seven churches. He tells us that at the beginning, the seven churches that are in Asia. These churches are living under the dominion of an oppressive political power. They are in the throes. They are in the middle of an oppressive Roman Empire. They're living under the, under the back-breaking oppression of empire. Rome would spread and expand their empire through violence. They called themselves the kingdom of heaven. They called their emperors the son of God. That's why when Jesus walks over Tiberius, what do they say? Truly, you are the son of God. Tiberius is not the son of God because there's a greater one that just walked over the top of him. So, 
They called themselves the kingdom of heaven. They're expanding their borders. They have propaganda and they have all of the accoutrements of an oppressive power. And there's seven churches in Asia trapped in the middle of this. And John writes them a letter. And you should read. If we had time, we would get into it. You should read what John has to say to these seven churches. To some of them, they're being condemned by the power. They're being condemned by the political system because they will not bow to it. They're being boiled in oil and they're being martyred and they're being crucified upside down and they're being pulled apart with horses and they're being condemned and crushed and murdered by the empire. And John, what he writes to them is, hold fast. And then if you hold fast, you'll receive a crown of life. But then he writes to some other churches. They're not being condemned by the empire. They're compromising with the empire. And to them, John is saying, you better repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the vision we see when we get to the book of Revelation. This apocalyptic world of this political power that is crushing and oppressing, and then sometimes the church is coming alongside and helping support it and prop it up. And in the middle of all of that, John has a vision. And this is the first vision that he sees. I see a throne in heaven. And there's one seated on the throne who is over all. Why does he say that? Because John knows the people I'm writing to, they fear a certain throne that sits at the seat of the empire. They're consumed with the throne that sits in Washington, D.C. They will fight you over who's on the throne in Washington, D.C. They will do deeply unchristian things to get their favorite guy or gal on the throne in Washington, D.C. But John says, I see a different throne, a throne in heaven. And there's only one seated on that throne. And everybody is bowing down saying, you alone are worthy. How do we deal with an election hangover? Number one. We come back together and we put our ideologies aside because you're not fully right. You're not fully right. I'm not fully right. Number two, we understand that Jesus walks over it and empowers us to walk over it if we look at him instead of it. And this has been so consuming to us that we've completely lost sight of Jesus. We've lost sight of Jesus to the point that we look at Tiberius and we call it Jesus. That has become God to us. And that if we don't get that just right, well, the God of heaven and earth can't accomplish what he wants to accomplish. That's absolutely perverse then we have to recognize that there is one seated on the throne that is higher than any earthly throne. It's higher than any earthly throne. That's why he's called the king of all kings. Whether or not your favorite king just got elected, that's not important. Because he's the king of all the kings. The good ones, the bad ones, the pure ones, the corrupt ones, the democratic ones, the socialist ones, the capitalist ones, the communist ones. He's the king over all those kings. And he's the Lord 
over all those lords. We got to get all of this out of us. And we've got to put God back where he belongs on the throne of our lives. I'm afraid we've exalted the throne of Washington over the throne of heaven. And we've got to get back to that. You hear me, church? I know you do. Let me pray. Father, thank you for our people. Thank you for your word to us. And we repent for anything that we've said or done that's untoward or unrighteous during this season. We repent of those things. We want to remember. Bring us back to the place where we know and we remember you and you alone sit on the throne. You are our king. You are our Lord. You are our power. You are our authority. You are the one that we bow to. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Listen, Hope Unlimited, I love you so much. I'm hoping after this week we're going to have everybody go get tested again that needs to get tested. And if those tests uh, come back negative, that means we can come back together and we can worship together again. So stay updated with us through social media. We love you. We hate, we hate, we hate not getting to fellowship with you in person, face-to-face, getting to hug each other's necks or elbow each other, whatever the case may be, and laugh and fellowship and be a family together. We hate not being able to do that, but we also want to be smart and wise. So Hope Unlimited, we love you so very much. Hopefully, God willing, we will get to see each other again next Sunday. Stay updated with us through social media. We love you so very much. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church slash give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.